Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Fitter and Faster. My name is Emma-Kate Lidberry, your host and managing editor here at Triathlete Magazine. On today's show, we're joined by strength and conditioning coaches Erin Carson and Kate Ligler as we talk all things strength. Between them, Erin and Kate have many decades of experience of helping athletes, both pros and age groupers, get the most from their work in the gym. We talk through the importance of strength work, especially over the off-season, and discuss the best ways to approach gym work at this time of year. Kate and Erin also highlight some of the exercises they consider to be key, as well as some of the biggest mistakes they see athletes making. All in all, it's a pretty interesting chat, especially as we get to talking about the hormonal response to strength work versus endurance training. Before we dive into our chat, here's a brief word from our sponsors. Wish you were in early on some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020. With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing, like Beyond Meat, or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in Mimic. Mimic explains that their tiny robotics allow surgeons to be less invasive and safely perform gynecological surgeries so women heal faster and have less scarring. Mimix is a much-needed innovation in the rapidly growing multi-billion dollar robotic surgery market. You can get in early on Mimic and other unique opportunities at ourcrowd.com slash fitter faster. If you're interested in investing, you need to join our crowd. The Our Crowd account is free. Just go to ourcrowd.com slash fitter faster. Erin and Kate, thank you so much for joining us here on Fitter and Faster. How are you both doing today? I'm great. Thank you. I'm rocking it today. You've had a busy, busy day in the gym, I'm sure. What's been the highlight of your day so far? You know, I just think that getting my day started with some really upbeat people um, coming in ready to do the work uh, has been just a great start to the day for me. Awesome. Yeah, I would agree. Um, we typically start very early in the morning, and I think... Um, getting a good start and seeing people who are just stoked to get after it is uh, super motivating. So you both have quite a lot of experience as strength and conditioning coaches. Combined combined number of years, what are we looking at? We, wouldn't, we wouldn't say that. <laughs> Come we, on. We, wouldn't, <laughs> we wouldn't admit to that. <laughs> a lot. But take us back. Tell us a little bit about how you came to be strength and conditioning coaches in the first place. Yeah, I um, had been racing bikes uh, pretty much full-time in my early 20s and ended up in a very bad crash and worked with an amazing physical therapist. And it was through that time um, working with her that I said to myself, this is what I want to do. Like, this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. And went back to school and got some really great education and have been in the field ever since. And can honestly say there's not a day that I don't look forward to getting out of bed and coming to work. It's awesome. Very cool. Erin? Yeah, so my whole gig was getting cut from the national basketball team because I was not strong enough and I was pretty skinny kid. Hmm. So I, yeah, I got into the gym. Uh, My mom and dad could not afford to get me a membership, so I started working at the gym, cleaning the hot tub every Saturday, which is weird. Like, I think you should clean your hot tubs probably more often. But I started lifting weights to, to be a better basketball player. And so that whole performance thing started for me pretty young and made a good good impact on my basketball career. And when you're the fifth assistant of five coaches at the University of Nebraska, where um, Boyd Epley, the founder of the NSCA, uh, was the head strength and conditioning coach and just set the tone for 
championship after championship with their football program. I had access to some of the most brilliant minds and strength. And that really lit, lit my fire. Like it's really who I wanted to be. Um, so yeah, just kind of followed, followed the path. Awesome. And so tell us a little bit about your experience of triathlon, both as athletes and your experience with athletes. Cause I know you've both worked with some pretty high caliber athletes. You know, we've got uh, I know you've worked with Rinnie and uh, Tim O'Donnell. You've worked with Meredith Kessler. So, yeah, just tell us a little bit about your experience of triathlon as athletes and as coaches of triathletes. Yeah, well, I would say I um, came to triathlon completely by accident. Um, to be perfectly honest, I was a cyclist for many, many years. I uh, raced, um, this would be my 18th season if there was a season to talk about um, racing bikes, but um, transitioned over to, to mountain bikes um, about four or five years ago and got into Xterra. Um, and that was largely um, due to the encouragement of uh, quite a few of my training clients. So um, I was based in San Francisco for about the last... Uh, 12-ish years at this point, and uh, worked with some phenomenal athletes. Um, uh, Meredith Kessler is, is for sure one of them, um, an incredible marathoner. Uh, Max Stiles-Haynes as well, winner of the uh, SF Marathon. And it was through those individuals who basically said, Kate, I, I think there's more. Like, I think you've got more. And uh, Xero was kind of my avenue that I got pushed into. So, um, you know, I would definitely say that um, since moving here to Boulder, which was about a year ago, I left San Francisco, um, namely to work with the great Aaron Carson, who I have the pleasure of sitting next to today. Um, I am just um, so stoked to be back in what is an incredible triathlon mecca here in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. So Erin, tell us a little bit about some of the athletes you've worked with and some of your experience in triathlon. Because I know you've raced age group, you've raced age group world championships at seventy point three level. So fun, yeah, yeah. I um, I'm really not very good at anything uh, endurance, so triathlon was perfect for me because I'm pretty good at all three. So that's the beauty of triathlon. You don't have to come from a cycling background or anything. I definitely come from a basketball background, skill sport, and I have found good success uh in my age group and and i like i like to win i like to play hard and i like um having focus and commitment and discipline throughout my days and so i'm just kind of wired that way um as a strength coach my first uh, professional athlete that i worked with was timothy o'donnell and as we sit here today that was nine years ago um three weeks after working with tio uh he introduced me to his uh, then fiance and uh, Rini, Rini came into my world and, and we've been together ever since the three of us. And, you know, I've definitely um, had the pleasure of working with a lot of other professional athletes in triathlon, as well as cycling, kind of just uh, just kind of merging in there as well, because the principles are very similar right. with, with yeah. running, cycling, um, definitely with swimming. But I think as we get into the meat of the day today, I think we're going to find that athleticism is probably one of the most beautiful things to witness. I love watching sports. I love doing sports. And uh, more than anything, I love to see the people that I work with really enjoy what they're doing at the highest level. Right. And obviously strength work is a huge part of that. And how, firstly, maybe talk to us a little bit <laughs> about how, how important it is for triathletes and how, how you fit that in and how you, how you make that work, what, why we should be doing it. You know, uh, there was an interesting study done about 10 years ago by the Journal of uh, Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy. Um, and the timing of this study was really important because 10 years ago, you know, strength training and endurance sports was not a very common pair. And they studied 131 triathletes specifically for a 10-week season. 
And what they found was that at the end of the season, 40% of those triathletes were injured or were injured to a point where they could no longer compete. And three quarters of those injuries were from overuse. Right. So, you know, when I think about why strength training is so important, I think about just the singular plane of motion that is the swim and the bike and the run and the amount of durability, the amount of um, training for your tendons and your ligaments and your joints that um, you really need to be successful in this sport long-term through thousands of foot strikes and pedal strokes and um, internally rotated swim strokes. Yeah, for sure. So you basically, you've got to set up the chassis for the for the work that's going to come through it. And obviously strength work is the, is the key way to do that, but so many athletes don't do it. Or, you know, if you're, you know, maybe say, let's take a, an average age grouper who has a busy, busy work life, busy family life, trying to balance three sports as well as, you know, everything else that's in their life, asking them to do a fourth discipline. <clears throat> how, how does that conversation go? You know, when, when you're, when you're working with somebody new or maybe you're trying to convince uh, an age group athlete, they should be doing strength. How does that conversation go, Erin? Well, there's two parts to it. And it, this is a beautiful time right now because in the whole fitness business in general, baby boomers drive our industry. So as we sit here, I'm a Gen X, not quite born in 1964, uh, 46 to 64. And that group of people now are starting to break. So I was mm. just saying this weekend to somebody, you know who really likes my stuff? Um, young, smart athletes and old broken athletes. Right. And everybody else in between. Um, I think what we see for the most part, when, when Kate and I, when, when people want to get on the podium, when people want to improve, when people want to perform, they, they're willing to seek out those strategies that are going to give them that opportunity to continue to progress. And I think that's the beauty of, of endurance sports. You can have a great day in your world and not get a not get a, a medal like not get on the podium but you can continue to improve and so when people seek out the opportunity to improve they they can't deny the fact that strength work in general and i think when you start digging in with with kate and i a little bit because our product is not just strength right people mm -hmm. picture what we do as just lifting a bunch of weights and i think that could be a massive mistake so we talk about mobility, we talk about stability, we talk about flexibility, all the illities, you know, really, we're, we're, and then, and then there's strength. Because I personally, I won't load somebody under a lot of heavy load unless they are moving really, really well. Right. So, so there's kind of a journey to this. So there is patience and, and Marinda Carfrey started figuring it out in about the third year. And she started pushing back a little bit on her swim bike run time to make more time to come into the gym because I think as she became a little bit more mature as an athlete, um, there was less of the natural tendency to just go out and be able to swim, bike, run without a lot of warm up time and mm -hmm. a lot of mo mobility work. Um, she started realizing that her sessions would get better if she did more of what we were doing. And so that message started getting out there and we started talking about it more. And so I think we're, we're at this point where, where our voices as strength coaches are getting a little bit louder. Right, which leads nicely to the next question, which was I was going to ask you about how you, how you like to balance, how, how, how strength work sits in a week of swim, bike, and run, and yeah, what, that, what that looks like. You know, if you're trying to do X number of miles on the bike, X number of miles running, X number of yards in the pool, where does, 
how do you fit strength in there? Yeah, well, it's really a symbiotic relationship. I, I don't think, you know, that you think about strength training to the exclusion of your swim, bike, and run, nor do most coaches now, you know, in terms of the sales process. I think we, I don't have to sell strength at all anymore, right? right. Definitely not. I, I think that coaches recognize that this needs to be a flow from across all um, four disciplines rather than just three. But um, I would definitely say, you know, listen, as volume and intensity goes up in your swim, bike, and run, volume and intensity traditionally comes down in your strength work. Like they are very complementary types of activities um, between one another. Right, which leads us nicely to this time of year. You know, the, the, the typically what would be in a normal year, the off season. Where a lot of athletes would take their postseason, uh, po- you know, we just had Kona, which usually obviously bookmarks the end of the season, and uh, then people take their break and then they work towards what's going to be their winter, you know, their winter training, which oftentimes has a heavy focus in the gym. So, um, talk to us a little about what you like to do in the off season with your athletes when it comes to gym work and 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 how that differs to to in season. The off season is is an exciting time to be a strength coach because the other nine months of the year, you work for the athlete right. and you work for the coach. Yep. And you are, you know, I will play off of their swim, bike, run programs for the most part, unless there's a specific instance and there's a bell curve of life and they don't happen very often where, um, where that happens. So this is kind of an exciting time to be a strength coach because you can take the lead a little bit. You know, you're constantly managing risk and reward Mm -hmm. Um, when you're in season. You can never, I think the reason people have trusted, trusted me and Kate over the years as strength coaches is because we are so gentle with regards to and cognizant of not taking away from the key sessions, swim, bike, run. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I would have athletes very long if I did that. If they went into sessions sore, um, yep. nobody th- that there's nothing worse that you can do to a, an athlete that who cares about progression. Um, so as we go into the off season, we definitely like we both agree, and this is why Kate and I get along. We love to play. So I have a, a professional runner. He's not a triathlete right now, but someday maybe we can get him on a bike. But, you know, his biggest thing was he was just he's meeting some challenges with that linear motion and the repetitive motion. And we went out and played some Frisbee on Friday afternoon oh, at, nice. at, at uh, the, the park. And I just threw the Frisbee like a dog, <laughs> like, go get it. <laughs> and I would just wing it as far as I could. And he, you know, had to change direction. He had to turn corners. He had to run backwards. And, and the, the funnest part of that session for, for him was how fun that was for him. The, right. the running backwards, yep. the running sideways, feeling a little bit like a defensive back. So that session when he's preparing for an Olympic trials or something like that, that's never going to happen. Right. But it was really fun on Friday. And, and he laughed. And just to play with your body and just to, to, to see the gifts uh, just kind of blow up beyond linear movement. So that's a big darn deal. I'm going to wind that story back like five steps Yeah, because uh, it was uh, last winter, like early January. And I hadn't been working with Erin very long, maybe like six weeks at this point. And she was training a group of, she called them her cyclists, um, twice a week. <laughs> and she said, Kate, well, I think they're, I mean, they're kind of in your wheelhouse. You know, could, would you pick up my Friday session for me? And I was like... Okay, well, sure. And she's, you know, she's very modest when she says cyclists. These are Tour de France riders. This is the current, you know, U.S. uh, road racing champion. These are highly specific um, endurance athletes. 
And she says, okay, well, you're going to take my Friday session. And I said, well, great. So we're going to do some push, some pull, and some hinge work. And uh, I was thinking for the last 15 minutes, we'd play some dodgeball. <laughs> dodgeball. And I just, I, I just felt, I just dropped it. And I just stood there silently. And she paused and she kind of, she shook her head for a second. And she looked me right in the eye and she goes, awesome. I want to come. And I I knew at that moment that we were going to be super compatible. You know, for those of you listening at home, you're probably like, my goodness, why would you take a bunch of Formula One sports cars and suddenly like take them out on a dirt track and tell them to just do a bunch of wheelies? Like, that's crazy. Bumper cars. You're correct. But, you know, here's the deal. You know, with regard to what she was saying about risk and reward, like this is the time of year. The off season is the time of year where, yeah, you're going to take your shoes off and you're going to run around and you're going to run backwards. And, you know, you're going to throw with your non-dominant hand and these this is really the time where you have to play and if you're thinking to yourself well this is this is crazy this doesn't help me in my swim bike or run at all it absolutely does if you think about you know speaking of Kona if you think about those last three miles how many videos have you seen of those finishers crawling their way into the finish if you are someone who can play now who plays in the off season and you develop that balance and that coordination and that control and that stability, you are going to be that person in the last three miles of your Ironman that's going to have the motor control to get yourself across that finish line. That's the time when play really comes in. Especially if somebody's throwing a ball at you or something in the finishing (laughs) shoot, like that would probably really get you going. (laughs) The the t-shirt cannon for sure. There you go. We've got ideas already for Kona 2021. <laughs> but but if I can, wrap that, Aaron, gonna... I'll, I'll wrap that up a little bit with with a little bit of the science and the reason. You know, we look at the body in, in layers, and and I always call the fascial system your super suit, mm-hmm. and your super suit it, it really has limitations when it comes to linear movement. And if we start to go a little bit non-linear and we start to produce force in different ways, um, the body just responds in a beautiful way by just creating a bigger super suit, which allows more freedom of movement. And I think that's where it just starts to play really, really nicely with swim, bike, run. Mm. And then this year, obviously, we've had a bit of a funky, well, that's a, quite an understatement, a bit of a funky year. Yeah, thank quite, you. Quite a funky year. Uh, athletes haven't had the usual run of races and the usual you know, training racing loads that they would, would ordinarily have had. Uh, so how does that affect, does that affect how as you as strength coaches would, would go into the off-season with your athletes? Uh, well, well, selfishly, I think it's super exciting because everyone's not worn out, right? They're coming in fresher and more focused to their strength training sessions than they've ever been before, which is awesome for us as strength and conditioning coaches. I think um, kind of the asterisks that I'll put on that is I think athletes are going to be racing earlier next year than they have raced in years past. Mm. So I think kind of once we find our flow again, I think our traditional off season is actually going to be shorter than it traditionally has been. Oh, can you think people are going to be getting back in towards the springtime racing? And yeah, that makes sense. Yep. But, I, but I'll, I'll add on to that too, because <clears throat> taking the physical out of it and, you know, just thinking of last Friday and, and dodgeball and laughter and being able to lighten things up. And I think that this has been a very hard time for athletes. Yes. This has been a, a time when most of us, not me, because, you know, I prefer to just train. I'm not a big lover of racing. So it, for me, it hasn't been a, a really hard time uh, emotionally. But I think a lot of these athletes have gone through periods of a lot of sadness, 
um, a lot of stress how they're going to earn money. Mm -hmm. um, I know that just from a social standpoint, a lot of the age groupers have really struggled because they miss their friends yes. um, from racing. And so the laughter just kind of nurtures that relaxation and that stress release and that, that thing that just needs to happen to kind of close the circle of true health right. of why we do what we do. So I think we've both probably spent some time counseling, listening, um, helping, uh, just, just cheering people up. And it's exciting that we're getting to the end of the year. And as an industry, we're starting to learn how to race in, the, in this time of COVID. And, and now people are starting to believe it's going to happen. And so now, yeah, we're totally ramping up. And I think um, we're going to look at 2021. There'll, there'll be a mini off season. All of our athletes always have some typical um, downtimes throughout the, the training year. So I think I, I agree with Kate. I think they'll race earlier, but I think they'll take breaks throughout the year. And I think we are about to uh, see some of the fastest times um, we've ever seen in sport, in endurance sports. Okay, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back after this. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing, like Beyond Meat, or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in Mimic. Mimic explains that their tiny robotics allow surgeons to be less invasive and safely perform gynecological surgeries so women heal faster and have less scarring. Mimix is a much-needed innovation in the rapidly growing multi-billion dollar robotic surgery market. You can get in early on Mimic and other unique opportunities at ourcrowd.com slash fitterfaster. If you're interested in investing, you need to join Our Crowd. The Our Crowd account is free. Just go to ourcrowd.com slash fitterfaster. So when it comes to building a successful off-season strength program, what should you be looking to do? What should you be looking to include what kind of things as a strength coach do you want your athletes doing? I think first, the first phase is really about setting some goals, setting some objectives, because working towards nothing is not a lot of fun. So we're no, really, right? So I'm not, I'm not a big counter of uh, how much you're actually lifting. I would prefer to see progression in a 5K, um, right. a, a, a maybe a 200 or a 400 in the pool, to really demonstrate utilization of the strength that we're, we're building. So I kind of like to set some milestones that we're working towards and then get in the gym and start putting together a program that works specifically to a milestone. So each one of us would have a different objective probably. So it's that classic strength coach answer. It depends, <laughs> right? So, and um, also looking at people's body types. Right. You know, I think there's been a lot of people who say, I want to get stronger so I can get faster, but they actually do want to add a little bit of depth of their chest musculature or their arm musculature. So it's kind of fun to get some hypertrophy vanity. people. Vanity. It's okay, yeah. right? I think that there's a vanity point Welcome to it. Welcome to triathlon. Just in case, I mean, what if you want to get on the cover of Triathlete Magazine? You better have some Ooh, pecs. It's not easy. <laughs> a word. So, so I think that there is, there's time in the off season to put some muscle on maybe. Um, for sure. I think that's, that's a good goal. I think a lot of people want that, especially age groupers, um, husbands, wives, they like that. Uh, well, I would just say in addition to the six pack, which yeah. is very important in the off season, um, I would also <laughs> six add, pack of beer or six <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I would also add, um, to Aaron's point, um, I, I, that's really a time when I always, 
draw athletes back to um, what their stability and their mobility look like. I think that's a great time, especially as, as individuals are kind of coming off a racing season and reintroducing themselves to gym work or consistent gym work multiple times a week, really giving like a ramp period for those athletes so that they don't feel super sore. They're not super miserable, but they feel like they're doing something that is ultimately going to help them move better. Um, just really basic stability, mobility exercises are nice, like a nice reentry point, um, which is typically where I start. Yeah, I like that. And it's nice when we have long-term relationships with our athletes as well, because each year you can add another layer. And so sometimes for an entire year, you're just focusing on great movement before you can get somebody safely under load. And right. to just put that in perspective, you don't have to lift. Up. There, there, There's not too many studies that will show you if you can deadlift heavier weight, you will ride faster on your bicycle. That's very disappointing to hear. I'm sorry. Bummer. <laughs> so it, it's not worth loading on a bunch of weight onto your deadlift. Although we want we want great form, great posture. Um, it took me eight months to get Timothy O'Donnell under good load, um, just because he's he comes from a swimming background and he has very long limbs. Um, so there's body types that do well under load quickly, and there's some that just take can take years. So if you got to just have a long term view on it for sure. Yeah, for sure. I remember when I first started deadlifting. Well, I actually spent a season learning how just learning how to do it without load before and and honing the form and the technique of it before ever doing it under load. And yeah, now now so I'm actually interested to hear both from a personal and professional uh, perspective. Why you wouldn't set a why why you'd set a specific goal that's maybe swim bike or run related and not gym related, you know? Like, can I not set a goal of deadlifting two hundred and fifty pounds this winter? If that's your goal, <laughs> you know. So if your goal is to to get under load and lift heavy stuff, then that's a great goal. Right. If your goal is to be a faster triathlete or a faster runner or a faster cyclist, they don't translate that well. Okay. Discuss. Discuss. If you want to be a better biker and you want to ride faster, you better learn to stay in arrow longer and have a better postural position and you better be able to put force into the pedals. Our job as strength coach is really to create a more resilient athlete, mm -hmm. a more resilient super suit fascial system, right. um, force production, rate of force production. Those are important things and that's only going to come from riding your bike. Right. And how, so let's talk about some uh, some specific exercises that you guys like to include in some of your programs. So uh, I know, Kate, you're big on the some of the um, hip hinge, squats, the lunge movement patterns, those oh, kinds of things. I really love the deadlift, just so you know. I've got your back on that one. I, I love the deadlift too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not down on the deadlift. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, would we talk about uh, good movement or uh, healthy movement for any human being? We're really talking about like really six, six fundamental movements and like what I like to call a little bit of glitter, which are your accessory type of movements. And those movements are the hip hinge. So more traditionally, you think of the deadlift. Um, you've got a squat, you've got um, a lunge and that could be forward reverse or a lateral lunge. Uh, you've got a carry. So for instance, a, a farmer's carry, how much weight can you physically hold on your posture? Um, you've got your basic push, you've got your pull, and then um, my glitter, my accessories. Um, that covers a lot of things like uh, glute bridges and uh, bird dogs and um, kind of your single-legged RDLs balance work. Erin, you add anything to that? Love all of those. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's back that up a little bit and explain to us what when you say push and pull, you know, for people who aren't maybe familiar with some of these terms, what do you mean by push and pull? 
Um, give us some. Give it's, us some it, examples. You know, the, the fun thing about being a strength coach is we're really not that smart. So when you say push, think about it. Push. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so <laughs> we're push up. A, so a you're push. talking about push ups. You're talking about bench press. You're we're pretty about, direct. We're a, pretty direct. Anything that's a push with the upper body would be a push. You can also push through the ground. So a deadlift could be, although it's a pull because you're grabbing it and lifting it up. Also um, carry a carry. You know, they they. They fall under different categories. It's a Venn diagram. Sure. It's a Venn diagram of yeah, strength training. Yes. It moves around, but I'm going to be heavy on pulling and really strengthening the backside of the body and, and really go hard towards posture. Posture is a massive word for me. Um, again, to Kate's point, in the final three or four miles of any race, he or she who can hold their posture the best um, will probably do better. Um, and, right. you know, that's the crawler's they're going to be later in the race, I think. But the postural part, the postural musculature, the breath, um, I think as you get deeper in with an athlete and you've had more time with them um, and their posture gets great and their lower body strength is great and they're, they're able to hold themselves up, then you got to find that next layer. And for me, it has really been nurturing the parasympathetic nervous system, a little bit of the rest and digest, yep. but also the breath work to be able to expand um, and elevate the rib cage as it goes and works together. So even just working the diaphragm that you don't really think about that from a strength perspective. Yeah, that's something that you wouldn't necessarily automatically, you know, maybe the, the classic triathlete wouldn't think about that. What they would, if they come to a strength coach, they wouldn't be thinking about their, they probably wouldn't be thinking about their parasympathetic nervous system. Right. They probably wouldn't be thinking about their breath. They probably wouldn't be thinking about, they probably wouldn't even be thinking about their posture maybe. But, but when you start to think about the fact that most people have a and I'm doing air quotes right now for those of you who can't see me. Um, they're, they have a tight psoas, right? right. So, oh. and, and, and the psoas muscle that attaches way up behind the, uh, to the front side of the spine, right behind the rib cage. So your legs basically attach all the way at the bottom part of your rib cage. So why wouldn't that matter? And so if, if people come to me and we're doing a session at Rally Sport, and it's funny because we'll spend an hour together and not touch a weight because we're so busy just adding decompression strategies to their spine. We're making them taller. And through that, we're lengthening their, their hip flexors that attach behind their rib cage. And so then I, I want them to go out and do a 20 minute run. And so step one to that point of, um, step one to that point of how do you get someone to buy in on strength training mm -hmm. is you have to show them as quickly as possible, how it translates to their sport. And so if I can spend one hour with somebody and then send them out for a run and they feel amazing, they will usually come back. And I've had that experience with some really high-end athletes who are just like, you know, you might be really great at lifting weights, but, you know, I always just feel so open when I leave a session with you. And that is like the biggest uh, compliment that I can have from an athlete. Right, because if an athlete then goes out and they're moving well, they're moving better, everything subsequent to that feels so much better. Everything comes more easily, free speed, as we would like to say. I well guess. said. Yes, there you go. Okay, so that's when things are working well. What about when they're not working so well? What about some of the biggest mistakes that you see athletes make when they're in the gym, triathletes making in the gym? Ooh. Well, I, I would say off-season, and this has actually nothing to do with anything that's happening in the gym most often, but I would say uh, triathletes in general are afraid to put on a little weight in the off-season. This is a huge mistake. Yeah. Huge mistake, right? So <clears throat> if you think about um, 
putting on, I'll use myself as, a, as an example here. I used to race between 115 and 125 pounds. And in the off season, uh, my coach would always have me at 130 to 135. And I'd be like, oh, coach, I feel miserable. I'm so slow going up hills. I just feel so sluggish. And the reason why, and she unfortunately didn't articulate it super well, but the reason why you want to not be afraid to put on a little extra muscle is, you know, you basically are telling your motor neurons and your muscle fibers, you're basically whistling in extra people to work on the assembly line, right? When you're a little bit heavier, you're like, oh, well, we need some extra help. And then like by the nature of the sport, as you get back into the season and your aerobic intensity comes up, you're going to start to drop the weight. But guess what? You've still got all those people standing on your assembly line that are like, well, I guess I'm just doing less now. And that means you're going to fatigue less quickly. So it's really important not to be afraid to put on a few extra pounds just by strength training alone or in the off season or by eating donuts, which are also delicious. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but also by taking a day off. Correct. Because that's one of those things that you don't really get fit or have the chance to build muscle fiber by lifting more weights. It's really the time afterwards mm -hmm. um, when you let your fitness come up and when you let things rebuild and repair. And we don't always have the time to do that in the season when we're trying to get our training done. So that is a really healthy process to allow it to complete mm -hmm. in the off season that we're constantly trying to rush. Um, right when we're in our swim bike run time or or whatever so and how many so what in terms of the work that you do in the gym with athletes in the winter in the off season how much what does that look like you know for um say let's take Tio and yeah. Rini as an example what 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 does that look like what's how much time is that in the gym and I I'm not one that goes longer than 45 minutes in a session with those guys or with anybody Right. I, I just think that that's an appropriate time. And, and a lot of times when we're in the off season, sometimes that's even shorter down to 30 minutes. Um, but to your point of lift, lifting heavy stuff, it, it is our time to, to lift heavy things. And so we'll take a few weeks of just one or two sessions a week, and then we're going to ramp that up to three, three, maybe even four sessions a week of short sessions. Mm -hmm. um, we might even do a very traditional um, upper body, lower body split that we never do in the in season. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we definitely, um, you know, we're, we're doing more traditional kind of almost bodybuilder stuff to your point of, uh, the muscle development. So we want to build strength, but I'm, I just keep coming back to it over and over. It's, it's a long process. It's, it's something where we want to be with our athletes for years so that Last year, we could really focus on strength. This year, we could focus on muscle growth. Next year, we can start to bring in even more plyometrics and that rate of force production because it's a skill. And if we can teach those skills in the off-season, then we can bring them in in the in-season with a lower degree of risk, if that makes sense. And what about for the average age grouper who maybe hasn't done a ton of gym work you know, this year or previously? And they're, they're, they're thinking and they're wanting to get involved in or include gym work in their off-season training. What, what would that look like when they're you know, just approaching it? How, how much time would you advocate they spend in the gym? I'm, I'm looking at two to four hours a week. Okay. You know, and that's, that's probably a little, you know, that's four one-hour sessions, which is, uh, that might be a little bit. Let's, let's bring that back two to three hours a week for the most, for the most part in the gym. Um, and it's coming like, I like swimming gym. So if you get out of the pool, you're nice and warm, you go right to the gym. And most people, that, that's an easy way to save a little bit of time. Um, you know, it's probably a good time to plug my app, 
that brings you <laughs> the EC Fit Strength app uh, that really does create a pretty fun journey for people. Um, and it's just one of those things that that uh, over time, uh, it's a it's a gift that I can give people and and play a role in more people's uh, performance. So. And so going back to, I know we, we went kind of all over the houses there, just asking why the original question I was asking was the biggest mistakes you see athletes, ah. athletes making. Not and enough so, weight. Not enough weight, not enough rest. Not yeah. enough variety. Not enough yeah. variety. Yeah. So yeah, we did go on a little bit of a tangential trip there, but hey, we're, we're back. Um, <laughs> in te- so yeah, and, and what about progression and, and, and load? Absolutely. I think I think having a strategy when you go to the gym, um, I think just, you know, when we come to exercise selection or um, frequency, like just having a plan, right? Even if you're only going to the gym and doing 15 minutes of work, make sure that when you're doing those 15 minutes of work, like you're, you're getting something out of it and you know what you're doing. And again, you know, finding someone to work with or someone who can give you those strategies. And honestly, there are great strategies online. And, you know, if you're just getting into um, strength training in general, you're going to find a plethora of information online that would be, will be super helpful initially. Um, and I think it's, it's as you choose to progress or as you start to find yourself progressing with strength training, I think, you know, leaning on some individuals who have expertise in the area which you're trying to improve um, will benefit you greatly. And obviously, I, I know, Kate, you subscribe to kind of the, the, the pattern of a six-week build, six-week build and load and progression so that, you know, you, you do that block, you complete that block, you move on to the next one. So in theory, you're getting stronger, you're, you're getting more robust, you're getting more durable, more resilient, so that you come through those however many, I guess, probably like three six-week blocks or something through the winter and you come out of that, you come out of that as a stronger, more resilient athlete with goals that you've set at the start that you've hopefully and ideally completed by the end. And so you're not just moving better, but you're stronger and hopefully you're swimming, biking and running better too, right? That was a lot, but you just said it very well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she t- we didn't, we didn't she, need any guests she, on the podcast. No. <laughs> we, well done. EK's got us covered over here. No, uh, to that point, uh, you know, I think I should uh, throw in a disclaimer, which was um, before I kind of had my aha moment back in uh, with a fabulous physical therapist who led me um, down this current path. I was actually a math major in college and I love numbers and I love progressions and I love kind of the science behind what we do. And so I'm somebody who is very focused on progression. Um, I think Aaron and I diverge a little bit on in this conversation, but I love to see the progress and I love to come back and say, wow, look at this. You're 25% stronger than you were six weeks ago. How does that feel? And, you know, honestly, if you can, if an athlete is struggling with an injury or an athlete is, you know, struggling with some performance aspect and you can come back and say, wow, you know what, we've really progressed in X, Y, and Z. I I think they leave the gym feeling good and and feeling like they've done something that they know ultimately will benefit their swim, bike and run. Right. And you see, and I mean, I've definitely experienced that in my training and I, you know, I, I know that when I'm lifting well or moving or even just moving well, not lifting heavy weight, like I swim faster without any, you know, I swim less now and I swim faster than I did before. So it's like, well, that's, that's cool. I'll take that. But, um, how about some uh, things I hear uh, I've often heard from other triathletes. They, I mean, I, like I said to you earlier, like I like lifting heavy weights, right? I like the, I like the way I feel. I like the way the benefits it gives me. Um, and I, often, and I often 
definitely f I feel the the speed and I feel the the free speed as a result of that but you hear a lot of athletes say I don't want to do that because I'll gain too much bulk you know I'll gain too much muscle mass tri triathletes endurance athletes what do you guys say to that what's your what's your take on on some of those I think there's concerns. some people who will definitely get bigger if they lift heavy weights and so you have to look at three different kinds of body types and and know your body type ectomorph um you would have a really hard time putting on bulk you they're know? the skinny guys right? skinny guys yep um then there's the mesomorph they're the ones that usually would would be most concerned about putting on bulk mm -hmm. and we just have as strength coaches we just have to be careful to keep them in check with the acute training variables that we're using when they when they do go under load because it's still important for them to lift heavy weights but perhaps not to the same extent that someone else would be able to do it. And then there's times in the in-season and going into January or whatever, when we just stop lifting weights for a while and allow them to just kind of uh, decrease in size, mm -hmm. I guess for a better, not a better way to put that. And then the, the third body type would be that endomorph that would probably want to drop a little bit of uh, body fat that mm -hmm. they're carrying. And we could go hardcore heavyweights with them for sure to just build up that metabolism and just get all of the benefits of carrying a little bit more muscle and burning fat at a better rate. Mm -hmm. So knowing who you are, knowing what would work best for you, because as strength coaches, we really do like to say it depends a lot. Yeah. I think that's going to be the title of this podcast. Yeah. Actually. We have to be really careful because the answer will be different for a lot of different people. Right. So really this is, there's a lot of, there is some generic messaging to take, you know, there's some takeaways, but really it does depend on your body type, your background, your injury history, what you can, what you, what you can do, what you can with, withstand. That said, this is a question I hear a lot too, sets and reps, how many sets, how many reps, you know, I'm, I'm deadlifting or I'm chest pressing or what's, what's the goal there? What's the, what's the science and I'll, the philosophy? I'll, I'll take the first one. So let's just say pure strength. Mm -hmm. So the acute, acute training variable for pure strength would be anywhere from four to six reps that your final rep is, that's what you have. You're, you're, you're lifting 85 to 90% of your one rep max and uh, you're just done. The, the rest periods for that mm -hmm. would be two to three minutes between and so with endurance athletes, what I will typically do when we are in a pure strength phase is we will do a heavy lift and I will just, um, what do you call that? Sparkle? Awesome sparkle work. We'll put yes. some sparkle. A little glitter. A little glitter. Ab, ab work. So not, of, yeah, we'll do some core or yeah. we'll do a stability challenge, um, but an unloaded something after that heavy to kind of kill the two minutes. I'm going to jump in here really quickly because Erin actually didn't say something, but I know that she says it very well. Why is rest so important, especially in the heavy? Erin talks about um, hormones and energy systems better than anybody in the business. Why, why is that rest important? Go ahead and just, just take that. No, keep going. No. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I, we were going to go back and forth on this. I, and now you've got an answer and I'm not playing that game. So you go ahead and answer that question. No, I, you know, I, I, I think rest and recovery, uh, one of the biggest mistakes to circle back five conversations um, ago now to this yeah. is that. Oh, it might have been six. It might have been. Yeah. We might be at like eight or nine <laughs> at this point. Um, one of the most important reasons is, um, just in, uh, the energy system, the fuel system that your body uses. And when you're lifting really heavy, you want to use ATP. And if you don't give yourself enough recovery, you're going to end up not using the proper system. 
Yes. How'd I do? Excellent. Thank you. 10 out of 10. <laughs> that's our math major. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's very, that brings us nicely to the, the benefits of lifting versus, so what happens to your body, the physiological response to lifting and being in the gym and that, that the nature of that work versus the nature of the work that endurance athletes typically do, which obviously wears us down, uh, has a different hormonal response to lifting heavy. I mean, I know I can, I can speak about that, but I'm not going to speak about that, but I can, but I know you guys, you, you see that. I know you've talked, uh, about how this, you see the difference in the mood of the athlete when they come in after a long, maybe a long ride or a long run, they come into the gym, do their work with you and you see them leave in slightly different mood to the mood they came in. That. Yeah. Anytime that you get a little kick in human growth hormone and testosterone, uh, when you, when your body goes through that period of freak out, you know, it's like, oh my God, we're breaking down. How will we possibly come back together? And I, I speak about the body like it's a, it's a community of, of people. And so those people who have been sitting on the sidelines kind of getting crushed by the endurance aerobic work, right. then get to come to the table and they're like, we are here to save the day. We are here to build you back up. And so this anabolic experience is really a great experience, not just for the body, but also for the mind, for the mood, mm -hmm. for the endorphins, um, you know, for the, just for the key hormones of rebuilding the body. Right. So without digging too deep into. Oh no, no, this is what we're here for. Yeah. We want to dig deep. <laughs> no, I think, no, I think, uh, I think that's really important and maybe not all triathletes real recognize that that's what's happening. You know, they do these long miles biking and running and swimming and they're breaking their body down. And sometimes it's the work in the gym or some of the lifting work that has a very different physiological response. Well, and I think that's really key for older athletes as well. Like I think the resiliency of the 25 to 35 to 36 year olds, mm -hmm. you know, their hormonal systems are really sharp there. And when you start getting into 40 plus, um, you start to recognize a little bit of uh, fluctuation in hormones. Mm -hmm. Um, that's probably the most important part to have a really strong technique under your belt for lifting heavy stuff and being able to stimulate that that hormonal system to really bring you back and, and keep you strong and keep you more interesting and funny and all of the things that our hormones really do for us. You so can that's your see secret. It. That's your secret, Erin. I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> I love you deadlifting too. You know, if you she go, came around, we finally yeah, got her. <laughs> you, you, you know, I mean, think about how you feel after a long ride versus when, how you feel after a hard ride that, that includes intervals, you know, it's really, it's just a whole different repair. Yes, system. for sure. And so just quickly touching on the, what you just said about older athletes and, you know, obviously master athletes, masters athletes, uh, they are sometimes or quite, quite often working hard just to maintain the same speed and the same fitness. How does gym work help here? Oh man, it's such a shortcut, right? It's, it's, I mean, as we age, we're losing, you know, predominantly type two muscle fibers, which are your kind of top end powerful, um, pr power producers and gym work is, I, I don't want to call it a shortcut. I think it is absolutely a necessity for athletes who want to continue to maintain and, or quite honestly, get faster. I was riding up to Jamestown the other day and there was a 70 year old that passed me like I was standing still. And I literally, I looked at that and I was like goals, yep. right? That is somebody who is doing everything right. And, you know, I, I think as we age, if we can think about those simple things that we can do, strength training being in terms of, you know, a, a cost of time, it's such a, just a small, 
small portion of your training, um, I think you're going to get the biggest, the biggest benefit long-term in staying fast and staying sharp in your workouts. And I think that's why building technique and learning how to do it when you're younger um, is a really, really key attribute because it's once, once you start to get some of the compensatory patterns um, that just kind of create, let me pull myself together here for a second. Hang on. You start to compensate because you know that something should look a certain way, but mm-hmm. you no longer have the strength to, de- to deliver a great running stride or a great pedal stroke. So you yep. figure it out. And so then all of a sudden you're, you're dealing with injuries and you're having to, to come back. So it's a lot easier to get ahead of it. Yes. Um, and start lifting weights in your la- late 30s, mid 30s. I mean, like I said, there's people obviously a lot younger as well, but but don't let it, don't leave it until you really need it. Yeah. So you're, it's a proactive approach versus reactive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Final question. A few ladies. Uh, we're obviously in the, in the thick of October, winter. We're looking right down at winter. Uh, what are you thinking in terms of winter challenges, fun winter challenges for your athletes? Uh, let's put you on the spot. Uh, well, for my athletes, I think we've, for all of them, I've already had the conversation of, I need one performance goal and I need one vanity goal. That is a question I've had with all of my athletes. And those are the two things that we're currently structuring, um, training around. So you clearly work with a lot of triathletes. (laughs) That is accurate. (laughs) You know, you know, for me, um, I'm really seeking out from my athletes um, how they are going to recover. They all are really incredibly driven. Mm-hmm. Um, they have great coaches, great sport coaches. That's a little bit of a different thing. I don't have that experience of being a swim, bike, run coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty pretty good at staying in my lane. Um, Kate Kate understands the athlete from a different standpoint because she, she does do the swim, bike, run stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest thing is I just don't want them to get trashed. You know, so yep. my biggest thing with most of our my athletes right now is to get on headspace, get on calm, mm-hmm. learn to to breathe better. Um, some of these in, intangibles um, that I want to bring to the table, in addition to the work that that most of them so far are really enjoying. Yes. Um, so, so I'm kind of uh, you know I just want them to be able to work extremely hard. Um, I know we've talked about polarized training in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, the the better uh, recovery strategies we have and we can develop as habits and uh, rituals and stuff like that, um, I think that it's really going to serve us well in 2021. Excellent stuff, Kate, Erin. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. I think we've all learned plenty. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Erin and Kate, for joining us. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast, rate and review it. It helps us out and it helps others like you find it. We'll be back in four weeks with episode 11 featuring Joe Friel and Jim Rutberg, authors of Ride Inside. Until then, happy training. Happy training.